This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. We aim to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. This episode in the news, the airline boarding process, Leap 1A engine compressor stalls, the $19 billion Kennedy Airport Transformation Project, SpaceX Starlink Internet Connectivity on Planes, and an update on the oldest skydiver. Also, Steve Fisher returns to the microphone following his recent open-heart surgery and joins Grant McCarran for another fantastic Australia Desk report. We have that and lots of good listener mail, and it's all coming up right now. Welcome to the Airplane Geeks Podcast. This is episode 770 of the show where we talk aviation. I'm Max Flight. With me is Max Trescott. He's host of Aviation News Talk Podcast. He's a national CFI of the year and an expert on the Cirrus aircraft. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. Hope we have a fun time again this evening. We had a fun time last week, just Rob and I. I heard that. Yeah. Well, it was different. Yeah, we told jokes and played cards. (laughs) (laughs) It was different. Also with us is, that's the voice of Rob Mark. He's a contributing editor to Business and Commercial Aviation, which is part of the Aviation Week group. He's a BizJet pilot, a CFI. He's been an air traffic controller, and he publishes the Jetwine blog. Hey, good evening. And tonight we are definitely not playing cards. We are going to be a group. This is going to be group think. I thought you were going to say group therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I thought, well, this whole show is group therapy, isn't it? It is for us. For the airplane people? It is. Also with us is David Vanderhoof, our air, our aviation historian from the American Helicopter Museum. Wow, I've suddenly got the title of airplane geek, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow, after all these years, I finally qualified. Hello, everybody. We're also joined this episode by Brian Coleman. He's our former associate producer and co-host, now, uh, we could we sort of think of him as a field contributor. Brian also hosts the Journey is the Reward podcast with our main man, Micah. Hi, Brian. Hey, Max and team. It's great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. It's probably great to be back in the country, too. Didn't you just return from where, Germany? Yeah, I was in Germany. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to... Uh, well, I'm sure you're going to talk about your flight experience on, on your podcast, uh, but uh, maybe later on, coming up, you can give us a little taste of the experience. Sure. Happy to. All right. We're going to jump right into some aviation news. Are you guys all ready? Ready. Ready from the West. Mm. Ready from the Midwest. Ready. First item. Uh, this comes from USA Today. Check your group United Airlines to reintroduce window middle aisle boarding this month saves two minutes. Wow. So who here enjoys the airline boarding process? Anyone? I I really enjoy it the way Southwest does it or actually the way many European airlines do it, which just seems to be a giant free-for-all. It's in, in Europe. They just say it's time to board and everyone boards. And they seem to do it so much faster and more efficiently than we do here in the U.S. Really? It sounds like chaos. Yeah, it is. It's organized chaos. Organized chaos. It's like mud wrestling without the mud. 
<laughs> it's funny. I remember years ago when my wife and daughter and I first visited uh, Ireland. We, uh, of course, I really had no experience with Ryanair, and we took Ryanair from uh, Dublin uh, to uh, to uh, London, and uh, it was like boarding time, and they opened the doors, and people rushed the airplane, like you know, just bundles of people running, and I and my daughter went, oh, Daddy, because yeah, she was about five or something, and I I grabbed her and I went, Holy shit, what the hell is this? <laughs> and uh, a guy looked over at me later and said, you've, you've never flown Ryanair before, have you? I went, no. He said, oh, it's like that all the time, you know. And I, I said, and I'm never flying it again. That's too nuts for me. That, that's trampling procedures, uh, I thought. Ah, sounds crazy. Well, United is, uh, has got a process that's supposed to start up October 26th. And is this, just, this is just for e- Economy passengers. Well, there's there's pre-boarding and then six groups. I don't know how you keep this straight. So the idea is that pre-boarding would be customers with disabilities and unaccompanied minors, also active duty military, global services members, families with children under two, and Premier One K members. That'd be me. Plus Brian, right? Yes. So that's the that's the pre-boarding group. Then there's Group One, which is United. We- and Max, I'm yeah. sorry, that's about 50% of the plane that boards during that point. 50% yeah. pre-board, great. Yes. Then Group 1 comes up, which is United Polaris Business, United First, United Business, Premier Platinum, Premier Gold, and Star Alliance Gold. That's Group 1. Which is the other 80% of the aircraft. <laughs> and then we have Group 2, Premier Silver, Star Alliance Silver, Chase, and certain other credit card holders, and Paid Premier Access. Group three. Now we get uh, <laughs> to the remaining, what, five, ten percent. Group three is window seats, also exit row seats and non-revenue passengers, followed by group four, which is middle seats, group five, which is aisle seats, and then there is a group six, which is basic economy on domestic flights and those between the U.S. and the Caribbean or Central America, except for Panama City and San Salvador. I don't know how you keep... So how do they keep this straight? Do they put your group on a on the boarding pass or something? Yeah, it's on the boarding pass. And then United has two lanes. It would be boarding group one, boarding group two. And then after they finish boarding group two, people for group three line up in formerly group one line. But there's no signage for it. So yes, that confuses people as well. And I find this whole thing just very, very silly because their goal is to save two minutes. I know. And they they pad the schedule so much anyway. What difference does it make? And they've taken the flight from Los Angeles to San Francisco that used to be blocked as a 45-minute flight. It's now oftentimes an hour and 10 minutes. What difference does two minutes make? I I know. I just don't (laughs) get it. It's so silly. And especially when everyone has status or has the credit card. Really, when you get to group four, five, and six, there's all of 10 people left to board an aircraft. Yeah. And they just call them steerage anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, I I was thinking about the boarding process and, uh, you know, how that. This sounds like something Max Trescott probably can 
identify with this, I think. This sounds like something that you ought to be able to computer model in a simulation. You know, I mean, you ought to be able to identify, you know, certain characteristics of different groups and different ages or, you know, or, or whatever and run simulations, computer simulations for different boarding procedures. And you ought to, it seems like you ought to be able to optimize it based on that. I don't know what the answer comes out being. Maybe it's the European everybody free for all all at once is, the, is as fast as anything else. But it, I don't know. It seems like something that you ought to be able to figure out. Well, I'm sure they do lots of modeling and testing. And I think that uh, it, there's probably a human element in it. It's not. It's a little bit unlike the operations research problems we probably did in college where you could find the answer. I'm sure it varies a little bit. But think about the two minutes. You know, if you apply that over the however many aircraft United has, yeah, that means you can probably uh, you know add at least a few more flights per day. So now you've increased the revenue while using all the same resources. So I totally understand and why they would try to squeeze an extra minute or two out of boarding process because it's you know, going to help them increase revenue. It's always about money. Yeah, the thing that I'm concerned over or confused about is, like I said, the way they've increased the book times for the flights, they've increased it so much. I don't think they're maximizing their time the same way Southwest does. Hmm. I don't know. It's It's kind of confusing to me a little bit, but I guess... Come October 26th, we'll find out. I'll report back. How's that? Okay, very good. But you know, the one thing I don't understand is that if the, if the, uh, I, I tend to be an aisle person, I tend to like to sit there. Me too. Um, and uh, so if I'm one of the last to board, the first thing I think about is chances of me finding any overhead storage space for my, mm-hmm. my little right. computer bag and what little I bring with are going to be practically nil. And um, that just irritates me. So, you know, I, I've never heard anybody do this well. Uh, everybody has a different system. Personally, I'm I'm with Brian. I like Southwest. I just know, hey, I give him 25 bucks and I get in the first group. And, and that's fine. Yeah, and or you set your alarm for 24 hours the day before. And uh, when you check in, you get group A. And then that way you're the first 60 people that board the plane. So you're pretty much guaranteed whatever seat you want and a place for your luggage. That's true. And all I care about is that the person in the middle seat doesn't try to, you know, slide over to my side of the chair. Stays out of your space. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now the joys of uh, air travel these days. No, there's no joy in air travel anymore yeah we might have a guest or two coming up that um, has some things to say about that but you mean tonight no 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 not oh sorry not tonight (laughs) in a future episode meanwhile let's talk about jet engines because i always like to talk about jet engines this is from flight global leap 1a compressor stall problem prompts faa to propose inspections the Leap 1A, this is the CFM International turbofan that competes with the Pratt & Whitney gear turbofan on the Airbus A320 family of aircraft. And there have been reports of three high-pressure compressor stalls res- uh, resulting in aborted takeoffs and two more stalls resulting in turnbacks. 
And so the FAA has released a proposed rule that would require increased inspections. Hey, Max, can you explain what a compressor stall is and why it's a bad thing or what bad outcome can happen when you have a compressor stall? What a compressor stall is, it's sort of like the engine burps. and So it's a backfire? It's, like a, it's sort of like a backfire. And if you've ever been on a takeoff roll in an airplane that has a compressor stall, that's kind of what it sounds like. It can be a pretty loud bang. But as you expect, you can get a lot of uh, forces associated with it. Usually it's not a problem. Um, if, uh, you know, you might return to the gate, they might look at the engine. If this is on takeoff, look at the engine and, and make a determination if, you know, they see broken parts in there or something. Well, it's a little more than that, but. So compressor stall can generate or can enable part to self-destruct and. It can cause some damage. Yeah, okay. And so in the case of these uh, CFM engines, uh, which are obviously, um, They've been around for many, many years, well, in different variations, but are generally a very reliable engine. But uh, these are caused, these stalls are caused by, or they are induced by, quote, high levels of non-synchronous vibration. And then they involve wear on the engine's number three bearing spring finger housings. Well, you know what a bearing is. I, I, I tried to find it image of a bearing spring finger housing. And I can kind of imagine what it sort of might look like maybe, but I couldn't find any pictures. If anyone has access to the engine manual or knows where we can find a picture of a number three or other bearing spring finger housing, uh, let us know. So there's some vibration. And again, these are on the, the Leap 1A engine. So these are the newest... CFM 56 engines, and they're accumulating hours and time and cycles, and it's kind of not unusual to see issues arise that get dealt with one way or another. In fact, in in June of this year, a couple of months ago, CFM issued a service bulletin that addressed this issue. But now the FAA's proposed rule would mandate operator compliance with that service bulletin. And that you see that a lot. Well, you see that frequently where the OEM uh, may respond with a service bulletin upon observing a, an issue of some, of some type and making recommendations. And if it's a serious enough issue, the FAA will step in and say, no, this is mandatory. You know, we're, we are mandating that you comply with this service bulletin. So this is going to cause some inspections uh, at least every 125 cycles which is kind of frequent, um, doing some analysis of the vibration. And it may include replacing the bearing spring, spring, say that out loud fast, the bearing spring finger housing. Also, uh, there may be rubs in the honeycomb components in the uh, stage two high-pressure turbine nozzles. So, yeah, this the, the issue in the, with the, uh, um, the bearing spring finger housings sounds like it causes you know, subsequent potential damage to uh, some honeycomb that's in there. Um, And it may require replacing the honeycomb. I don't know that engine well enough to know how big a deal this is, how big a deal the inspection itself is. Um, That's probably not a super big deal. Um, But if there's uh, repairs that need to be made, I don't know how difficult it is to get to that 
part, how much disassembly is required. If you take the engine off wing, uh, I would kind of think so. And it's not the entire fleet. This is 48 uh, Leap 1As in U.S. carrier fleets. And um, I guess the, the note here is that mo- most likely 33 of those engines will need to have their bearing spring finger housings replaced. Yeah, and I just wonder, is this something where they have to take the engine off the wing and do the repair? I mean, you know, how much disassembly do they need to do? Right. I just don't know. I, to me, it sounds like some, you know, an off-wing repair, which, of course, is a, a much bigger deal because, you know, you've got to take the airplane out of service at least until you can slap another engine on there. Bearing spring finger housing. That almost sounds like the punchline of some kind of joke. <laughs> yeah. I realize it's not. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm speaking as a, a moron when it comes to the inner workings of turbine engines. I just used to know we'd hit start and at 8% you'd inject the fuel and it would go, and it, and it ran. And then it was good. That's was about good. all I knew. All right. This is an item from Micah from the New York Times. Why tugboats are key to the $19 billion overhaul of Kennedy Airport. And we'll get to that. But as the headline indicates, and I'm sure everyone around New York City is well aware of this, Kennedy Airport is undergoing this giant $19 billion transformation. And if you want to learn more about what they're doing and the status and all that, they actually have a website for it. And it's called a new JFK.com. So you can find a lot of information about that. But they've broken ground. Uh, it's a public-private redevelopment program. They're going to build two new giant terminals. They're going to expand and modernize the existing terminals, uh, streamline some roadways, add some retail and, and dining. This is a huge, huge multi-year project. But uh, I know, Brian, have you been through JFK? Not in about five, seven years. Ah. And I was hoping that in their, um, the vision plan that they have on the website, it's I actually downloaded. It's a really interesting read, especially if you want to fall asleep, uh, you know, late at night. (laughs) Um, No, but it, it actually was really interesting. I was hoping that they were going to start with, they were going to scrape the entire airport and start Start over again. Um, and they needed the barges to remove the the rubble, but that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, it's just very – it's a very disjointed airport, and it's an airport that you could definitely tell evolved over the years, and there was no master plan. And I think that's really what the big um, – the big vision here is, is to create a master plan and have a unified airport and tie it into public transportation and effective public transportation and have cargo be part of the general aviation airport and the commercial airport and just have everything work. And that'll be really nice when it's done. It's just going to take a while. The economic impact of an airport this large is is really spectacular. And there were some statistics in the article, or no, this is in the um, yeah. at the website, the anewjfk.com website. Not only does the airport handle 62 million passengers a year, but and this is kind of the interesting part to me. It supports how many jobs does it support? It supports 280,000 jobs, 
It generates more than $51 billion in sales and $17.1 billion in wages. It's just enormous. So the physical facility, uh, I mean, it's like an investment in this economic benefit. And if it falls into disrepair or it loses business essentially because because it's uh, not up to modern standards and the demands of the volume and the passengers and all the impact could be could be huge well and if you think about it the 280,000 jobs that's larger than many cities here in the US and probably around the world as well right and that's just an airport that comprises a few square miles it's really amazing that such a small area can generate so much. It really is. And this, this isn't going to happen quickly. The, uh, that website says that construction began in 2020. It says uh, first new gates were scheduled to open this year. The, new, uh, the two new ter- terminals will add to annual passenger capacity uh, 15 million flyers. And that's to be, those are to be completed in 2025. And the full project completion is expected to be 2030. And I wonder if the air traffic controllers are going to be equally as cranky and disagreeable as they always are. (laughs) I wonder if they're getting a new tower. I don't know. Well, I mean, what they did at O'Hare when they added all these new runways, uh, they went to a... uh, an east-west parallel configuration, is they added two more control towers. So there was the center field... Uh, long time tower, then they built a north tower and a south tower because you you simply, the controllers simply could not cover, uh, I'm I'm sorry, they could not see, say, the north end of the uh, airport uh, under certain conditions uh, or the south end of the airport from the midfield tower. It It just didn't work. So especially when the visibility is low. So I'm sure they'll probably include some towers. Well, the New York Times uh, article, the title, talks about tugboats, and we haven't talked about tugboats yet. But just to, you know, for for the sake of completeness, the point they're making is that there's a real engineering challenge here because this is a massive construction project. It requires massive um, equipment and materials. Yeah, both coming and going. And, of course, if you've been around JFK, you know that – it's uh, in a uh, highly populated area. There's no easy way to uh, to add the the daily truck volume that it would be required. The, the infrastructure just can't really handle it. So they're doing a lot of this with with barges, and I guess they've created like a temporary dock uh, on mm-hmm. uh, one side of the airport. And uh, to bring in this material and stuff, they mentioned that the the quarries that bring the rock those those come from. 125 miles away in the Catskills. Um, so um, that's what the uh, the project involves. They say that it requires uh, so much uh, concrete that the Port Authority uh, worked with this uh, supply company to set up a dedicated plant at the airport that could produce at least 720,000 cubic yards of concrete for this project, which is enough to fill 218 Olympic swimming pools. It's a lot of concrete. Yeah, I think it's very similar to the project that we have going on here at LAX, where we're getting ready for the 2028 Olympics and 
just about every terminal building has been redone. They've built the people mover to kind of help with the the road congestion and just getting people um, moving around. There's going to be a integrated um, car rental facility. So it's, I think, going to be much nicer than what it currently is, but it's really not been a pleasant experience with um, all the construction that's gone on over the past few years. So I kind of wish that LAX did have access to a, a harbor and a port and they would have been able to to put a little bit of that um, offshore. Yeah, avoid that problem. Yeah. All right. Next we have this. Uh, this is from the Runway Girl Network. Hi, Mary. Yeah, Mary Kirby. Uh, in fact, I think she wrote this article. Hawaiian now planning Starlink service uh, service entry in early 2024. So this is about SpaceX's Starlink internet service, which is actually something that I'm going to be uh, that I plan to look into pretty quickly here. But they offer different connectivity options for personal use. That's what most people are aware of. Residential use, where you can set up a a dish on your roof and have internet from the Starlink satellites. There's also a roam plan, which is mo- for mobile use, like RVs. Uh, and there's a boats plan, which is uh, something that you can use on the water. But there are also commercial options for Starlink. There's, a, there's fixed, there's mobile, similarly there's maritime, and there is aviation. Now, According to the Starlink website, the, the current aviation package gets you high-speed internet in flight. Uh, it's not inexpensive. It costs $25,000 per month, and the upfront hardware cost is $150,000. Yep, but that's to the aircraft operator. Right, right. And Right. I just wanted to make sure I yeah, can't see not, a lot of yeah, passengers. That's not per passenger. For that. yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> just thought I'd be clear on that. And they uh, they have it now, uh, or coming soon, for Gulfstream and Bombardier aircraft. You can get it now on the Gulfstream G650, and it's coming imminently for the Gulfstream G450 and the G550. On the Bombardier, it's coming, it says fourth quarter 2023, so that means now. On the Global Express, the Global 5000, the 5500, the 6000, the 6500, and the 7500. So, as you might think, airlines are also potential customers for for these Starlink packages. So, Hawaiian Airlines announced in April last year, 2022, that they would fit Starlink to its A321neos, the A330s, and also the future Boeing 787-9s that they were going to get. And that uh, installation would start this year on the Trans-Pacific fleet. But now Hawaiian says that's been pushed back to... Uh, Early 2024. Brian, have you um, have you heard any buzz about Starlink coming to airlines? No, not for Starlink. The only thing that I've really heard about him is the way all of my astronomer friends are very upset with him because all the satellites are ruining their um, their stargazing opportunities. Yes. So, yeah, they apparently generate or reflect an awful lot of light, and that's causing issues. Yeah, you can be trying to take a really nice uh, time lapse. Uh, image of a star field or or even of a galaxy or you know anything and then you get these you know 
when, when you when you take a look at the image, you've got these streaks, these white streaks running across it, which is the the Starlink sat- satellites passing by. So uh, yeah, uh, people aren't uh, aren't happy with that. Yeah, Starlink on the, on, on, is on, going to be. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, on the one hand, I'm looking forward to having reliable internet access on the plane. On the other hand, I'm really um, displeased that this is going to happen because it just means more time to work on an airplane. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I really like having the excuse. Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't get anything done because, well, didn't have access to internet. Yeah, but once this becomes reliable, uh, yeah. So airlines get in-flight internet connectivity from different sources. There's some satellite sources. Viasat and Intelsat have uh, satellite communications options. Of course, there's GoGo and and Panasonic. Yeah, we really would need Mary Kirby or someone from Runway Girl Network to uh, to get deeply into it. But it looks like the issue that's causing the Hawaiian delay is uh, certification. In fact, uh, Starlink says they're currently looking for certification engineers who can, quote, produce certification deliverables on a tight timeline that comply with FAA regulations for supplemental type certification applications. Also that, uh, quote, drive certification process improvements to reduce overhead and improve schedules for future certification applications. So it sounds like Starlink hasn't got the... uh, the uh, the employees they need to uh, push through certification here. Yeah, it sounds like they need to go to some grad schools and hire some doctoral candidates and have them work on this. Yeah, some of this language sounds like it was written by the uh, the PR people as well, and they try to be as confusing as possible because then they can say, "Well, we explained it to you." Well, I'm sorry. Nobody expected us. No one told us we needed to make it understandable. All right. So there's some other uh, Starlink customers um, out there. Air Baltic, Zip Air Tokyo. I don't know anything about Zip Air Tokyo. And uh, JSX, which uh, I guess has them on their Embraer ERJ fleet uh, right now. All right. One uh, one last news item and... uh, Dorothy Hoffner, the 104-year-old skydiver that um, just may end up holding the Guinness World Record as the, as the oldest skydiver. Um, of course, um, everybody who knows her has, been, has said that that's not why she did this. She did this because she loves skydiving. That she started at age 100. Yeah, I know. Just, <laughs> just amazing. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, she's apparently passed. She was found dead by staff at the senior living community and she apparently died in her sleep so uh, just to reliving the terrifying experience of jumping out of a perfectly good aircraft no i think (laughs) she did that she probably went with a smile on her face Uh, but uh, others are trying to push through or pursue maybe is a better word the the guinness record to see if they can award that to her posthumously Uh, but thought it'd be just uh appropriate since we we talked about Dorothy uh, a couple of weeks ago to mention that uh, she has passed. What's up with the geeks? Brian, Brian, I understand that you and Micah have cooked up some kind of a some kind of an interesting plan. Oh, yeah. Um well, as long as my mother doesn't listen to the show, it's all going to go swimmingly. 
I am going to fly to Florida and surprise my mom again. You know, I wasn't able to give her a heart attack the last 30 times I've done this. So I figured, what the heck, we'll try it one more time. So I'm showing up, and not only am I showing up, but Micah is showing up as well. And we're going to force Mama Coleman to give us the follow-up interview that she refuses to uh, give to us. So, yeah, she was actually on the show, The Journey is the Reward, and she recently completed her 200th cruise. 200? Wow. Yeah. So not 200 nights, but 200 cruises. And she uh, sailed from New York to uh, Hamburg, Germany on the Queen Mary. And that was her 200th cruise. And yeah, so we just want to get her on the show again and have her talk about the experience and how she created such a crazy son that likes doing you know, these crazy travel adventures. You know, when you say, you know, to, to show up and surprise her, what's the surprise to her? I mean, is, is it like, like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, pretty much. That's, pretty much. That's yeah. part of it. Yeah. But I will either knock on the door or, um, although it, she recently moved, so I don't have a key. I used to just let myself in, which was <laughs> That can be dangerous. Yeah. Um, Especially yeah, if it she's is, packing. It is, it is Florida. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, but I would just show up. And sometimes I'd be in the house and she would come home from being wherever she was or, you know, I'd knock on the door and say, hi, I'm here. And yeah. So isn't there some kind of a pizza shop involved in this as well? A meetup. Yes. Micah and I on Sunday, November 12th, we're going to have a meetup and the name of the place is Your Pizza Shop. Clever. And yeah. And it's in Largo, Florida. And we're meeting there at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And yeah, anyone that's in the area that wants to come in and say hi to me and Micah and meet Mama Coleman and whoever else shows up, yeah, we're having a meetup. Wow, that's great. So it's your pizza shop, 1200 8th Avenue Southwest, Largo, Florida. That should be a blast. I hope somebody shows up. Yeah, I do too. Because otherwise, it's just going to be me and Micah. It's going to be you and Micah and pizza, which is, that's that's fine too. And and my mom. Yes. How long have you had a pizza shop? <laughs> Ever since you moved there. No, it's 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 not mine. That's just the name of the place. But you said I'm. it was my pizza shop. Yeah. No, it's, it's your, your pizza, pizza shop. shop. <laughs> uh, and Micah tells me that he's going to be flying Breeze down. Breeze, yeah, airways down. Yeah, he's doing a review flight on for them. And doing a review flight. Yeah, yeah. So we'll look forward to that too. Very cool. So uh, on your uh, flight to and from Germany, who did you fly on? Oh, of course, I flew on United going over. It, it was a, The outbound was Los Angeles, San Francisco, London. And then from London, I connected to Eurowings and flew from London to Hamburg. And then on the return, I did Eurowings to London and then London to Los Angeles. And I was very fortunate to have been upgraded on both United segments across the pond. So that was really nice. And I thought it was hysterical. Because I give out gifts to the flight attendants on the Eurowings flight from Hamburg to London, I, of course, give them a gift and I apologize that I, I, I 3D print these hooks that hang over the tray table and you could hang a water bottle or hat or jacket or whatever on the hooks. It could also work as a, a iPhone stand on the tray table which is which is kind of nice but it has the united logo 
on it. And I apologize to the Eurowings people for you know not having the Eurowings logo on it. Uh, but they were just so impressed that I gave them a thank you card, a, a blank note card that they could use, plus the um, the the tray table hook. They said, "Ah, we would like to upgrade you." I go, "Okay, great. Yeah, that's that's really nice for the hour and a half flight from Hamburg to uh, to London." Except the thing is, European flights don't have special seats in first class. They're just regular coach seats, but they block the middle seat. Now, I was in row four, and they upgraded me to row three. (laughs) (laughs) So it really wasn't that big of a deal. But being in... Yeah, no, it was yeah. it was phenomenally nice yeah. of them. They were they were super nice and appreciative. And the thing is, because I was now sitting in business class, I could get a sandwich and a beverage and a bottle of water for free, whereas I would have had to pay for it sitting in coach. Yeah, there you go. All those extra yeah. flights were worth it. Yeah, exactly. No, so it was it was super nice, and just I really enjoy giving gifts to flight attendants and watching the expression on their face and just the gratitude that they have for someone recognizing and appreciating them. And these little things happen yeah, as well. Um, yeah, kind of like on the, sorry for taking all the time here, but on the flight over, I was talking with some of the flight attendants who were talking about um, stories. And I, of course, mentioned one of having an adult beverage or two on an, on an aircraft. So when I go to get off the plane, they give me a um, the airsick bag full of mini bottles of, of booze, <laughs> which I thought was really nice. So I have, I don't know, six, eight bottles of bottles of booze. And I go through uh, security because England isn't part of the European Union any longer. So I have to clear customs and immigration in England. As I'm going through, they are so focused on these mini bottles of booze and they have no idea how I got them. They have no idea what to do with them. They miss the fact that in my carry-on bag, I have a can of Coke. I have my 24-ounce water bottle. Also, when talking with the flight crew, I told them that my mother is a kleptomaniac and she has a set of flatware from just about every airline that she's ever flown on. So they give me a knife, fork, and spoon from the airline that security completely misses. Wow. So here I am traveling with a knife with two things of liquid that are more than the 100 milliliters that I'm supposed to have and completely gets through security. Not a problem with that. They questioned me over the booze. <laughs> what's it? But what's it? These are in a barf bag, right? Yeah. So what's it like to walk through an airport holding a barf bag? Or did you put it in something? Oh, no, else? I, I put I put it in my computer oh. bag. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just had this image of you, you know, holding this bag walking through the That's airport. An interesting I mean, point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I would have done. That wouldn't have bothered me at all. But yeah, I had room in my computer bag, so I just shoved it in there. That might be fun to do anyway, just to see what people's reactions are. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you'd want to do it in a clear Ziploc bag, oh, right? Yeah. So everyone could see what it is Yeah. <laughs> instead of holding a barf bag. That uh, Well, yeah. yeah, that could be fun too, I guess. Yeah. All right. Very good. So it was a good trip, huh? Yeah, it was it was really good. It was fun showing mom around Hamburg. And uh, I actually went with listener Hendrick and we went to the Airbus, um, the the factory that's there in in Hamburg, so I saw a whole bunch of A320s and 321s being put together, and yeah, so it was really fun um, hanging out with listener Hendrick on the 
cool. on the factory tour as well. And we took the the employee shuttle bus or shuttle boat over. Uh, you have to cross the river in order to to get there. And as we're about to dock, a beluga comes in for landing, hmm. and got some really nice photos of the beluga. And that was that was really special as well. So I thanked him profusely for arranging for the the private flyby for me. Cool. Or the special flyby. Yeah. That, right. That's based on an A three thirty, I think, isn't it? The beluga. See, there are three hundred. I think it's a three hundred. The new one that they're building is the going to be A three thirty. I think oh, almost okay. positive. Yeah, it's been around for a while, and it's but it's really cute the way they have it painted, where it really looks like a, a whale. So they have a little smiley face on it, and yeah, it's cute. Do, do you know, Brian? I, I'm sorry, this is probably the only place I get a chance to ask you this, but last was it last week we were talking about? No, the week before we were talking about the uh, the uh, way Delta is changing its frequent flyer program, and mm-hmm. it's all based on moolah and how much you spend on the delta card uh what what do you think about that uh does that kind of negate the point of what you did at at united uh if if they were to implement the same thing well fortunately um united moved to a revenue-based frequent flyer program years ago uh so it's it's not that big of a change for united uh although they still don't consider credit card spend as part of their i'll use in air quotes frequent fire program their loyalty program uh so delta's really gone the other way as american has so i don't think united will do that i think they're they're going to look at this as a competitive advantage but they have been really stingy over where it's only air miles that count towards status. United has been fairly consistent over the years of once you earn a benefit of not taking it away. So I think now that I have the 1K status, which is their highest not invite status that I, that I have. So I have 1K status with United. I, I think, I believe, I hope that they'll never take it away. So I don't have to qualify ever again for that. Something I never understood is it's 1K, but you're a million-mile flyer, right? Well, no. The 1K comes from a from flying 100,000 miles a year. So, yeah. Oh, I it, see. It, does, it doesn't it make sense. It still doesn't make sense. No, it, it absolutely doesn't make sense. 100K, but anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just wondered. Yeah, no one's been able to explain that to me either. I've wondered myself. Max Trescott, uh, hey, any news from you? Oh, we were delving this week on Aviation News Talk into the world of laser strikes. And I was contacted by a listener almost a year ago when he was struck by a laser while flying in the traffic pattern up in the Seattle area. And he did something rather unique. He actually tracked down his uh, perpetrator uh, using a number of techniques he describes on the uh, on the podcast. And that gentleman was arrested. And just a week or so ago, he ended up pleading guilty, which is why Jonathan was now able to uh, talk about it. So uh, just to review, back in 2022, there were 9,500 laser strikes reported to the uh, FAA, and a total of 78 people have 
reported eye injuries uh, since uh, 2010. So it's a serious problem. And it was the first time I'd ever heard of uh, someone who was struck by a laser kind of fighting back. And in fact, he said, you know, he initially just thought, oh, I'll just kind of forget about this, chalk it up to a, a bad experience. But the next day he awoke and he was really ticked off and he decided why why let this person continue to be out there and do it to other people and it turns out he did it to uh, he did do it to uh, someone else on the same night and that person shot some video so if people go out to any of my uh, social media for aviation news talk they can see the the video of uh, the the 172 being struck by a laser. So anyway, it was, uh, I, I thought it was kind of a compelling story that you know, a pilot uh, fought back for justice and won. So yeah. I'm hoping it inspires other people to, to do the same thing. If they get struck by lasers, don't just take it lying down, but do whatever you can to uh, track that person down. And this is, um, you discuss this on this week's episode? Or? Yeah, it's episode uh, 296, which is already out there. 296, of, that's what uh, I was going to ask. Yep, Aviation News Talk. Okay. And Max, wasn't there someone a few weeks ago that um, did a laser strike to a police helicopter or aircraft and then he did it again and they, they caught him and he was just sentenced to, I believe, four years in jail? So this is a frequent occurrence. Uh, the vast majority of people who get arrested for laser strikes are people who strike a, a police helicopter or a police aircraft. Uh, so yeah, that's what, what you're describing is a fairly common story. So it would be hard for me oh, to okay. identify that particular one. This happens all the time. Wow. But four years though. Gee. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a big impact on your life. <laughs> you have to disappear for four <laughs> years, especially yeah. if you've got a family. It's a, it's a tough one. Well, this pilot had uh, damage to his eyes that was temporary. It lasted about three weeks. So, you know, the, the more compelling thing was he was temporarily blinded. He could see virtually nothing uh, you know, immediately after he was struck by the laser. In this case, it was a uh, an industrial-grade laser that was, you know, somewhere on the order of 100 times more powerful than the typical laser pointers. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's just... Uh, yeah, that's, that's bad. That's terrible. We have an Australia desk this week. Now, this is exciting because uh, as many of you, or at least uh, some of you know, Steve Vischer had uh, more than just a health scare. Um, he had uh, a heart attack and subsequent uh, surgery. Um, and to my great surprise, um, he got together with Grant McCarran and uh, they sent us an Australia desk for this week. The didgeridoo means it's time for the Australia News Desk. Here's two of the craziest guys we could find south of the equator. It's Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran from the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Steve, 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 open your eyes. Come back to us, Steve. Steve. Wait, wait. What's going on? What's going on? What? You. Hey. Hey. That's not the – what happened to that good-looking nurse I was looking at when I shut my eyes before? <laughs> oh, man, it was a little while ago and she's long gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not you. <laughs> I know, right? I, I, I snuck in wearing a, a doctor's costume and they let me right by. Who knew? Oh, crikey. Yes. Well, welcome, everybody, back to the Australia desk since I'm awake now. You know, Grant, it's nice to be here for episode 770. In fact, probably to paraphrase George Burns, it's uh, – well, it's nice to be anywhere, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's nice to have woken up this morning. Yes, it certainly is. And uh, boy, what a what a journey I've been on, mate. It's um, it's uh, it's been a pretty trying well month and a half now. It sure as heck has. You've been on quite the epic adventure that you never wanted to have. No, so uh, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, briefly now. So, uh, well, first off, I wanted to just um, take this opportunity to thank everybody for all of their good wishes. It's come from everywhere around the podcast universe and particularly from here in the uh, in the aviation niche that we've worked in for all of these years. Um, it, it's really helped me to get through this. It's been a really trying time. And for those of you who don't know, uh, back on the 7th of September, well, um, much to my surprise, I suffered a heart attack and uh, ended up in hospital. And to cut a very long story very short, uh, well, they opened me up and uh, I ended up having a triple coronary bypass. So it's uh, and now I'm in the recovery phase of that. And aside from a little blip that left me in the hospital about a week ago again, <laughs> it's um, yeah, here I am. So it's uh, it's been a real a real journey, and it's been uh, quite a shock. Yeah, well, you know, when you came back from Thailand with that uh, jippy belly and found that rather less than ideal way to lose weight, we all thought that that was it. You'd found the <laughs> the ultimate shitty way to lose weight, shall we say? Yeah, but no. You took it one step further, and this is a heck of a way to beat me in the weight loss champs. Well, I always like to be an overachiever and be, you know, dramatic about these things. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, it was um, a really uh, odd experience. Um, all of the things that you would expect from a heart attack, you know, you're told that it's very painful and shooting pains down your left arm and all of that sort of stuff. Well, that wasn't the case at all for me. Um, it was uh, – I was really just started feeling quite winded. I'd been out walking my dog, in fact – and it was a beautiful day, quite windy, and I just thought it was allergies, to be honest. Uh, just a very congested chest, uh, but then a really splitting headache. And, uh, you know, I ended up at my doctor a couple of hours later, and uh, they took one look at me, and next thing you know, I'm looking at a couple of paramedics, and we're on our way to hospital, and uh, only mm. to be told that uh, we're very sorry, but uh, we think you've had a heart attack. So, um, Grant, I, I've I've written about that. I've decided I've never written a blog before, but I, I thought uh, just as a good way of processing a lot of stress, I like to write usually just for myself. But uh, if people want to go and have a look at that, and I talk about what happened on the day, right through the diagnosis, through the operation, and uh, out the other side of it, and uh, yeah, a really tough experience. I'm sure a lot of people listening perhaps have been through it themselves. A uh, very emotional experience, I must say. But uh, yeah, it's it's just something, and I would really just encourage people to uh, really just check your health. People uh, such as ourselves in our fifties now, um, I I get yearly medicals for my uh, work physical that I have to have every year, and it was never picked up. Um, so I'm not angry or bitter about that. I'm more curious as to why it wasn't picked up. I, I don't know the answer to that question yet. But uh, yeah, here I am. So if people want to read about that, um, you can go to proceedaspect.com or .com.au, your choice, and that'll go to my blog, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but once again, um, to everybody who sent me notes and messages, uh, phone calls and everything else, I, I really do appreciate it. It's, it's been really tough. It's been tough on my family, and uh, we're just going to work towards uh, living smarter now and uh, just uh, getting on with life and taking this uh, second chance, this uh, second opportunity, and uh, and getting on with it. Yeah, well, you've been given this uh, this warning, a wake-up, and it's been a wake-up for many of us, by the way, uh, yeah. <laughs> for you. Uh, there's a few of us now going, hmm, blood pressure's a little high, weight's definitely high, uh, post-COVID, I need to get back in shape. It's definitely working it for me. But uh, also inspired me to go out and get current in a hot air balloon again. Uh, 
because you know yeah, well you make time you're welcome <laughs> yeah i know right i'm sorry world but steve's fault <laughs> yeah. okay grant well that's a good uh, segue to lead us into aviation uh, well, I'll, I'll drop a link again as we said to to that blog if anybody wants to have a read of it um but anyway, Grant, let's talk aviation. And now there's a lot of really nasty things going on in the world right now, and uh, particularly over in the Middle East, uh, in Israel, uh, all the stuff that's going on there. There's a lot of Australian citizens that uh, are in Israel at the moment, uh, and we need to get them repatriated back here to Australia. And Qantas has stepped up and is doing their best to, to get their aircraft in there. They've had one flight out of there, a second flight was due to go in, but due to some, uh, I think, some security concerns, they've decided not to. But uh, that, uh, as we record this, now this is Sunday as we record this, um, and probably by the time this goes to air that second flight, uh, they're saying here quite as it'll be an A380 this time, we'll have been in and out of Israel to take some more Australians home. Yeah, and very interesting, as you spoke about beforehand, is uh, why is it Qantas doing this and not the Aussie Air Force, the RAF with their KC-30 tanker transports? But I am curious about that, Grant. I would have thought that's something that our Air Force was set up to do, although I would grant you, I guess um, they don't have the seating capacity that a large airline can provide. But Not like an A380, but certainly uh, similar to a 787, but I'm sure that information will come out at some point. And uh, it could also be because they just didn't have the uh, support, ground crew and all that kind of stuff in the area to be able to operate. Yeah, so for uh, any Australians who might be listening to this podcast and are wondering or Australian citizens that are worried about uh, you know, some of their loved ones that might be trapped across there in Israel as that uh, pretty nasty-looking conflict uh, progresses, um, the advice there is to contact the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade or DFAT and, of course, the uh, number from within Australia is 1300 135 and uh, that's where you should register uh, all the details for all your loved ones. So uh, we really hope that goes well and people get home safely. Yeah, that's good advice, Steve. And, of course, the interesting thing is that the A380 is actually doing London to Sydney via Singapore to get all the people back to Australia. They're actually using 787s. The first flight was a 787 from Israel to London, and the word is the second one will be the 787, not the A380 going into Israel and bringing people out on Tuesday. But uh, we'll see how that all pans out. It all depends on the security situation on the ground. Uh, don't really want to send a very expensive aircraft into uh, into a hot zone. No, we certainly don't want those crews to be at risk either. But uh, kudos to those crews that are stepping up and uh, going into that. It must be a, a pretty, stressful, uh, pretty stressful flight, those ones, I would imagine. Indeed. But, hey, moving on to something a little less stressful, perhaps, turns out that uh, – Former Air New Zealand CEO is now Prime Minister of New Zealand. Yeah, Grant, that is interesting that uh, Luxon has taken that uh, big step across. Um, you know, it's popular in some circles, perhaps uh, as many CEOs from many companies are, perhaps not uh, popular in other circles. But uh, certainly a high-profile businessman in New Zealand uh, running, obviously, their national flag carrier, now moving across into politics. And he's taken a pretty convincing win there in the New Zealand election this weekend, just gone. Um, that might be good news or bad news, depending on your point of view for New Zealand. But uh, Grant Air New Zealand are having some troubles of their own at the moment, um, and a lot of that's due to the ever-changing and escalating price of fuel. Yeah, that's right, mate. They uh, they had their AGM and they spoke about fiscal year 2023 going pretty well, but a uh, bit of concern for fiscal year 2024. The guidance is not brilliant, uh, mostly because fuel costs have risen 35% from July to September. And yeah, they've gone down by 10% just in the last week, but you know, that was off a very high base. So they're saying, look, fuel prices, weakened Kiwi dollar, 
Plus also people not traveling as much now. They've done their retaliation on COVID international and domestic travel <laughs> and are settling down a bit. So uh, plus also they've got that ongoing Pratt & Whitney engine issue uh, that's going to keep a number of their aircraft from flying, make some issues for them, being able to maintain a good schedule. So we'll see what happens over the next few years. And, of course, uh, one of the other interesting things is here, uh, Grant, there's people that are holding on to a lot of their uh, COVID travel credits and uh, Air New Zealand's mm. trying to encourage people to use those credits up so they can, I guess, clear them off the books. But uh, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, inflation is taking its toll right around the world on a lot of economies and people, uh, I think, are holding on to their dollars and perhaps are not quite as uh, keen to travel just right now uh, as yeah. perhaps they once were. 2022, 2023, that was a go. But uh, Air New Zealand did extend the lifespan of those COVID-related credits to continue the credit line uh, and give people out to the end of uh, January 2026 for travel through to the end of December 2026. So they joined Virgin and Qantas and others who have done that as well. Yeah, interesting times over in New Zealand. Now, Grant, let's uh, quickly uh, do a couple of ones before we finish up here. An Australian man doing silly things on a scoot aircraft uh, just this week, uh, coming out of Singapore, headed for Perth, uh, mentioning silly things like, oh, there might be a bomb on board the aircraft. And, of course, that aircraft was uh, turned around. (laughs) We should just say allegedly, because all these things are alleged at the moment, but uh, it was an Australian man that was let off the plane. After that, uh, Scoot 787 returned to Singapore uh, escorted by a Singapore Air Force F-15. Yeah, he got the uh, royal treatment when he arrived. Special people waiting for him, just for him. Escort him off the plane. All that really wonderful thing. Except, oh no, he's been uh, he's been charged with the offence of making false threats of terrorist acts and remanded in the Institute of Mental Health. Mm. So, mm, sounded really good for royalty, but yeah, no. So he could be in big trouble. You know, I could think of uh, better places around the world to uh, be trying silly things like that. Sing of the Singaporeans, uh, they don't mess around when it comes to law and order, and there should be a bit more of that around. So uh, anyway, we'll <laughs> see what happens to that. Just quickly, Grant, the Australian Maritime Safety Authority is uh, doing a recruitment campaign. I just saw that this morning as I was uh, actually plowing through social media. So they're looking for all sorts of air crew, including Dash 8 captains and uh, also some uh, Challenger 604 captains, uh, pilots, so uh, engineers, mission crew, all that sort of stuff. We'll pop a link in the show notes to that. And finally, Grant, um, some good friends of ours have been doing some good things in the aerobatic uh, championships, which were held just recently at Narromine in New South Wales. That's right, mate. The Australian Aerobatic Championships. We, uh, I caught up with the Paul Bennett Air Show's team at Jamestown, South Australia, when I was doing commentary there. And, uh, yeah, Paul Bennett won Australian Freestyle Champion. Glenn Graham won Australian Unlimited Champion. Jet Bennett, Paul's son, got the Australian Intermediate Championship and may potentially be the youngest pilot to ever win that. Uh, One of their ramp rats, Riley, uh, was second in the Intermediate and Sam won Sportsman. So... Big clean-out for the Paul Bennett Air Shows team, so congratulations to the guys. Yes, Grant, and I wonder if they were chased out of Narromine with pitchforks by all the locals. No, no, that wouldn't have happened. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Good, on, uh, good on Paul Bennett Air Shows. I mean, gee, they are probably the only um, air show in a, in a box type of operation, if you like, uh, here in Australia, and they do a wonderful uh, – they do wonderful work for air shows. They, they get all around the countryside – People can hire them and they'll take care of the whole thing, don't they? They, uh, you know, set the yep. whole thing up, uh, get the whole, get all the approvals done, and run the whole thing. And they they put on a great display uh, on top of all of that. So, um, yeah, probably appropriate that the team gets out there and wins all those awards. So, congratulations to uh, all the Paul Bennett Air Show team. 
Yeah, they're pretty bloody good pilots watching them uh, do their displays and everything. It's it's fascinating. So uh, always always great to catch up with those boys and not just in the pub, which is also a wonderful time. <laughs> but didn't have a lot of time to do that at the uh, at Jamestown. That was too busy running around. Okay, absolutely. Fair enough. All right, well, that's everything we have for you on this Australia desk. Grant, we should just point out that uh, episode 143 or season two, episode 12, whatever you like, of Playing Crazy Down Under has just come out. Uh, it was a little bit delayed due to my, uh, well, I had a few other things going on, but uh, <laughs> I tried. I tried. I got ATC BNN. We put all the recording together. Yeah, we but did. But then I was in New Zealand and then I was in Jamestown and then I was off flying balloons. And I'm so sorry, people. It was mostly my fault that it was delayed. Anyhow, that's a uh, series of interviews that we collected uh, in and around the uh, Pacific Air Show on the Gold Coast, which was held back in late August. Grant and I went up there and got some great content. So uh, we really appreciate you uh, downloading that and having a listen. But until the next time we meet uh, here on the Australia Desk, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And, uh, well, I'm very happy to be here, um, <laughs> as I said, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, Steve, you got any more of that morphine left? I could do with a mellow out. No, no, I'm keeping it all to myself. Those guys are crazy. Wow. They, they are funny. I mean, they really are. It's so good to hear... Steve, uh, Steve's doing reasonably well, uh, and certainly sounds good. I think G- gave yeah, us quite God. a scare. You ain't kidding. Yeah, indeed. All right, we have a lot of listener mail. Some really good listener mail. So Rich wrote in. I thought you might find this of interest. You haven't had much tanker news in it for a while. Plus, this is good news, but it is a little embarrassing to the KC forty six program, don't you think? And this is an Airbus uh, press release. And Airbus and the um, Singapore Air Force, the Republic of Singapore Singapore Air Force, have uh, worked together. They completed a test flight campaign for automatic air-to-air refueling using the Airbus A330 MRTT, the multi-role tanker transport, uh, and uh, F-15 fighters. They're looking to certify this in the first half of 2024. They conducted these test flights in Singapore. And, uh, David, I guess they did a lot of tests, many, many, many tests. And apparently, um, I guess they uh, they got good results. Yeah, I. not that I'm going to say anything good about the KC-46, but automatic air-to-air refueling. I'm, I, I was still a little confused on what they actually were, what they were actually was automated. It's definitely a, a success, but I'm, I am curious where the automation comes in. I mean, where the, where's the automation? Is it in the F-15 or is it in, in the tanker? Then, what, I mean, we're talking about a boom system, of course, and not probe and drogue. Does that mean when it makes contact, it automatically does the fueling? Do the aircraft autonomously connect? It was a very interesting article. It's a very interesting test, but I still want to know really more details on what's automated. The uh, The photograph that accompanies this shows an F-15 and the boom um, from the perspective of the MRTT. And the F-15 and the boom are all outlined with a green line. It almost looks like this was some kind of optical imaging some kind of detection system that i don't know maybe guided the the f-15 together with the boom i it's it's kind of hard to tell david you're right i'd like to know who was doing what was the f-15 pilot 
hands off and the aircraft was coming, you know, I mean, we've had years, we've had ski antennas on C-130s that were station keeping antennas that basically pinged each other and they knew each other could keep the distance set. And we have autopilots and stuff. I'm just curious where the, you know, and we also have automation for carrier landings. I was just, it was a little ambiguous on what exactly was automated. Yeah. So maybe some more information will become become available to us, and we can we can learn the answer to that. We uh, we also heard from Peter. He writes in, "Hi geeks, especially Max and Rob." <laughs> he says your episode six uh, no seven hundred and sixty nine was unusual, which it was, but I enjoyed you two old guys talking and going off in tangents which is exactly what we did last episode, Rob and I, as we, we were the did only... did seem like we were easily distracted. We were. But, I mean, we kind of did that intentionally, I think. Uh, but one of the things we ended up, uh, one of the tangents, sort of semi-tangents, was we talked started talking about uh, airplane modeling. And Rob had a good idea of asking um, all of you, who's, you know, who's modeling? What are you doing? Um, got any pictures? You know, anything like that? And so... Peter, who's from Germany, uh, wrote this email to us, and he said, as for airplane model building, I do not still do it. I just started doing that. Because (laughs) Rob made sort of the assumption that, you know, maybe the younger listeners would be modelers and maybe folks would, uh, I don't want to say outgrow it, but, um, you know. It's it's actually the reverse, Rob. Is that true? Most younger generations do not build models. It's an older, aging out hobby. Interesting. Mm. Are you so, still uh, building them, David? No, I, I I have to go to work and play with them, so I don't need to have any fixes building them. There's a lot of you have a lot of models at the American Helicopter Museum. The times I've been there, I've seen a lot of models there. You guys have. Yeah, we have approximately um, about five or six hundred models. Wow at the museum that I get to play with and move and shift and all that other stuff. So I don't need to, I don't need my time at my modeling bench. And then of course there's that other hobby of Legos that sort of take that up too. Also another form of modeling sort of, but uh, back to Peter, he says at my age, which uh, is now beyond the first half of my life, after a colleague gave me a plastic model of a Star Trek ship that was too scary to build for her, and he says, and it was scary with 100 tiny decals. He says, I discovered that I actually enjoyed it and did a reasonable job. Since then, this is a cool part. I, since then, I could get my daughter interested. And by now, we have built a P-51, an F-4, a P-47, an A-321, a Concorde, and a Piper Cub together. And we are getting better. He says, thanks for your entertaining podcast. So I think that's cool that Peter discovered a, you know, a hobby that, he could uh, enjoy with his daughter. Cool. Father, daughter. Anything to get women involved in aviation. That's right. And then uh, Michael wrote to us. He says, hello, Airplane Geeks. After your discussion on the last podcast about uh, building model aircraft, I figured I'd share a few of my favorite projects. These aren't exactly plastic models, but are radio controlled, and I fly them often. It took a bit to narrow down the photos to those that fit in an email, and I've got plenty more to share if you would like. All of these are electric-powered and vary in construction from foam to balsa to fiberglass. I'm also a full-scale or real helicopter pilot and flight test engineer, 
So when I'm not working on models, I'm working on flying them. Did you see some of those model pictures? These I mean, we're going to put some of these in the in the show notes. And I'm impressed. Yeah, these are. We have a couple that we'll put in. There's a a Boeing uh, looks like a seven four seven four hundred. That if you took the it, it's a picture of it taking off uh, off the runway. It's really hard to tell that it's not a real airplane. I mean, it's just really really good. And then we have a um, helicopter. What's this helicopter, David? A UH-1C Huey. UH-1C. And then it's is this a uh, is this a is this a B twenty five? It's yep. a twenty five. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. All of these are just oh spectacular. I mean, Michael's done an incredible, incredible job. So he uh, finishes up really enjoying the podcast and the great variety of topics and guests that you bring to the show. Keep up the great work. So thanks, Michael. And thanks for those photos. Yeah, we're going to put some of those in the show notes. Uh, th- these are just really impressive. And then Andy wrote in. He says, hey, guys, somehow I stuck with you all the way to the end of episode 769. <laughs> we were a hit, Rob, you and me. Really interesting. Really interesting about banner towing, Rob. Sounds like a high pucker factor was involved. Rob talked a lot about banner towing. Uh, we also factor, talked about yes. the X-66A. This is the that uh, transonic truss-braced wing aircraft that uh, NASA and uh, Boeing are working on developing. And um, they're using... To build the the um, you know the prototype the the full scale prototype they're using uh what are they using Rob was it MD ninety I think they were they were using yeah I believe that's what it was I think that's what it was and and we were talking about using old parts to make something new and Andy says yes it is common to use parts and pieces including significant airframe sections to build experimental or even other fast paced development aircraft. Examples include A-10 landing gear and F-16 flight control components for the F-117 and T-38 cockpit ejection seat and canopy and F-16 landing gear for the X-59. Also, the X-55 was a heavily modified Fairchild Dornier 328. And then we were talking about, Rob brought up the point where since this has such you know long, thin wings, how are you going to fit it at the airport? Are you going to have to fold the wings or something like the 777X? And so Andy says, it will likely require folding the outboard portion of the wings. Indeed, the 777X is slated for deliveries beginning in 2025 in a new single-aisle plane based on the uh, TTBW, that being the, truss, no, the transonic truss-braced wing. Uh, based on the TTBW, it would be years after that. So there would be plenty of time to prove and improve the concept for commercial application. Yes, there is a weight penalty associated with the folding system, but of a lesser magnitude than the projected TTBW aerostructural benefits. And then the third point that Andy brings up is some differences between um, Cessna 172 struts and X-66A uh, trusses, because uh, Rob brought this up also. He said the former, the um, Cessna 172, is almost exclusively to carry axial loads, has a small diameter, mostly round shape, and is not designed to provide lift. The latter, that being the X-66A, can also handle loads in the transverse direction, has more length or cord, and is designed to provide lift. 
The X66A looks like a milder version of older joined wing concepts. So great comments from Andy. Okay, so enough about uh, Rob in my episode. But it's nice that people seem to have enjoyed it, though. So well done, you guys. Yeah, yeah. It was fun, too. It's, uh, we, you know, it's nice to do something kind of really different every now and then. Because I don't know about, you know, all of you guys, to include all of you listening, but I get a little bit bored with doing the same thing all the time, whether it's, you know, this or anything else. But... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize my mic was on. Oh, God. Of course not. Jim says, I've been a listener for some time, and I typically don't provide feedback. But I just wanted you to know that episodes 766, that was our episode with Michael Switek about air travelers with disabilities, and episode 767, uh, which was with... Haikobo uh, Mesta, who's the uh, CEO of Soisa Aircraft Interiors, he says, we're excellent. I typically listen to more GA-oriented podcasts and wasn't sure I wanted to listen to these two episodes, but you did great interviews with guests who were excited about their work and made it very interesting. That's from Jim. So thanks for that feedback. And then lastly, Brian wrote in. Not our Brian, a different yeah, Brian. Yeah, but not me. Right. <laughs> At least I assume it was you. He says, uh, oh, yes, while, uh, while we were off this summer, which really means while I was off this summer when we replayed uh, some uh, past interviews from the back catalog. But Brian wrote and said that you recently replayed an episode with Brian Scholl. That was the uh, sled driver, the SR-71 pilot. And I was reminded by your mentioning his books that I wanted them some years ago. When I met Brian at Reno Air Races along with Bob Hoover and several other notable wingnuts. This being the final flag edition of the air races, that's because uh, the Reno Air Races aren't at Reno after this year. Uh, This being the final flag edition of the air races, Cora and I packed up the camper, made our way down there from up on the Alaska Highway. Uh, I was hoping Maureen would... Uh, at least be there, and happily she was, and I was able to lay hands on both Sled Driver, the book, also the book The Untouchables, both autographed. Cool. As well, I snagged two challenge coins of the SR-71. Now, Maureen told me that I got the second-to-last copy of Untouchables, and that just made me that much happier that I'd come here. Of course, the event was sadly marred by the T-6 mishap, the, the fatal accident, And the precious gold unlimited race was not held, which was my main reason for being there. I was angry about that. Biggest attendance ever, and the drivers decided to go soft. A lot of people sacrificed and spent heavily and traveled from afar. P.T. Barnum once said, the show must go on. But I guess that, too, is no longer important. So he says, they talk about relocating the races, but I won't be there. The quality of racing is down. The heavy hitters have quit the game. The food concessions are crap and overpriced. And, quote, surge pricing is the way they gouge even deeper for accommodations. He says, forget it. Too risky. Someone might crash and end the races early. But I still got my treasured books, and I have you to thank for the reminder. So um, it's interesting. Uh, and he and I traded some, some emails today. Uh, Brian and I did. Uh, about canceling a, a sporting event, uh, for example, when you know when there's a fatality and 
I think usually that's done, but I don't. I don't think it's always done. I was trying to think back to the you know my you know the the seventies and eighties and, and Formula One races where. Sad to say, it was not all that unusual to to have a, a driver die in a crash. Or mm-hmm. I remember um, there was one um, one one of the marshals uh, crossing the the track with uh, with a fire extinguisher, trying to get to the other side, was hit by one of the one of the race cars who uh, you know didn't. There was just no way to avoid it, um, and and he was. I was trying to remember if they canceled those races when there were fatalities like that. And I'm pretty sure in Formula One anyway in those days, they did not. Uh, I might be misremembering. But I know it's a tough one. You know, if you have a fatality, do you cancel the event? It's a tough call. Yeah, as they say, the show must go on. So, yeah, I think it's, I don't know, for me anyway, it's just part of the sport and bad things happen to good people. And, you know, it's, that's what they sign up for. And, you know, his point is also that, you know, the other competitors sign up for being able to compete. The spectators sign up for being able to spectate, be able to watch to watch a race. Mm-hmm. I understand the respect for the the person who lost their life. Guys, but there's an FAA organ- and a National Transportation Safety Board review that was on the flight line when that after that occurred. Well, that's a good point. How are you going to have an air race when basically the place is locked down for an investigation? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think of that one. That's a good point. All right. Well, on that kind of strangely sad note, um, (laughs) we'll we'll bring this one to a close. Thanks for joining us, Brian. You know, it was really good to talk to you. It's good to see your face again. Yeah, great to be here. And uh, And I'll get some damn guests. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I've certainly been enjoying submitting the the interviews that Micah and I are doing. So that's certainly fun. In fact, we have some more coming up next next week. Is it next week, I think? Yeah, next week, because uh, I have a uh, – here we go again. I have a funeral to attend, actually. So, um, yeah, we have some, uh, some more interesting – we have uh, your – Brian, your uh, interviews from uh, Dorkfest, from Cranky Dorkfest. Oh, okay. So yeah. we're going to play those, which are really – Really spectacular. And next week you will hear some people that you've heard on this podcast before as guests or as co-creators um, and uh, some people that you uh, you know might otherwise know or have heard about. Uh, and uh, so look for that next week. But meantime, thanks for listening to this episode. As always, you can find us at AirplaneGeeks.com. In the show notes for this episode, you can go there directly by visiting airplanegeeks.com slash 770. Our email address is thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. All right. Any uh, closing comments or Max Trescott or where we can find you or or maybe you can explain why you're sitting in the dark now? <laughs> well, because the, the sun has set and I, I can see perfectly well, but... Uh, I haven't turned the lights on in here. Yeah, people can find me at the usual places, aviationnewstalk.com. All right. And Rob Mark, how about you? Same, the usual places. Well, not aviationnewstalk.com, but uh, jetwine.com. And inside the pages of a variety of aviation publications. You and Max Trescott haven't done an episode together, have you? Haven't done an episode together recently, have you? I don't know, Max, have we? 
It's been a while, hasn't it? Well, we talked about the remote tower thing a month or so ago. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Was um, but uh, I've been bugging him to do something else, and he just keeps turning me down. <laughs> you know, I like I it when you guys team up. I, I call so. him with, I, he goes, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to waste my listeners' time with that junk. Well, I mean, that's uh, what it sounds like to me, but yeah, that's I may be and, misinformed. And that yeah. sounds just like me, too. I mean, I'm sure that's the kind of thing I would say. <laughs> I'm very sensitive, guys. All right. All right, Mr. Sensitivity. Are you all set, then? Yes, I, I think I've I've had it for tonight. Okay. How about you, David? David Vanderhoof? Uh, you can find me at the American Helicopter Museum, and you can, of course, find me if you can spell Vanderhoof, to use the old terminology. All right. And Brian Coleman, you're up. I still have the email address, I am really offended at yahoo.com. So if anyone wants to send an email there, I do indeed monitor that. And Mike and I are doing the show, The Journey is the Reward. So please check out that podcast. And people can get a hold of me at brian at airplanegeeks.com. Or in Tampa next month. Yeah, that's right. Tell us yeah, the date but, again, that again. <clears throat> yeah, so it's Sunday, August 12th at 4 p.m. No, not August your, 12th. And it's November 12th. <laughs> <laughs> it's not August 12th? <laughs> yeah, it's November 12th at your pizza place in Largo, Florida. Cool. All right. And I'm Max Flight. You can find out where I hang out online at, at 30,000feet.com. Okay, everybody, please join us again next week as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody. Keep the blue side up. Nighty night. Fly safely. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Airlines are also potential customers for for these Starlink packages. I'm a okay, David, are you playing with your phone? Yes. We can David, we can hear you. <laughs> are you playing a game? No, actually I was watching the baseball game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's the score? Phillies are, Phillies are winning. Okay. Well that's good. That's really awful. You got to cut that, obviously. But I, I'm sorry, that just did me funny. Oh God! Uh, Whatever I could do for you, Rob. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> let's be professional. Okay. What? Oh, wait, you invited me on. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been here when we did the outriver. When uh, that was just you and I, wasn't it? Or was it when David was here too? Remember when Archie started barking? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. yelling out the window at Nancy. Yes. Okay, well, anyway. Yeah. Oh, I like the mouse one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. We should joy. package, you know, we should do a show with outtakes. Uh, you know, so the funny, except that would require a hell of a lot of research. Yeah, it would take a lot of work, but we could do it. Well, you're retired. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing anything, right? <laughs> All right, we have a lot of listener mail, some really good listener mail uh, this episode. Uh, first you one, I we'll want to hear a joke first. <laughs> you can cut it out of the <clears throat> final, but you know, no, go ahead and tell us a joke, Rob. Okay, 
Snow White, Superman, and Pinocchio are, are out for a stroll uh, in town one day. As they walk, they come across a sign. Beauty contest for the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm entering, says Snow White. Half an hour later, she comes out and they say, well, how did it go? She said, first place, of course. They continue walking and uh, uh, the, uh, they see a sign for the strongest man in the world contest. Superman, of course, enters and half an hour later, he says, hmm, was there any doubt? They continue walking when they see a sign contest for who is the greatest liar in the world. Pinocchio says, I got this one. He walks in, comes out half an hour later with tears in his eyes. What happened, they said. Who the hell is <laughs> was all he said. <laughs> you had to be there. Okay. Oh, God. I had a feeling it was going to go that way. It... <laughs> all right. I don't. I don't get out enough. Uh, That'll get us in trouble. Know. 